We return this morning to our sermon series on Genesis and more specifically the life of Abraham. We took a week off last week for Easter and so we're picking up today in chapter 20. And as a recap, since it's been a couple weeks, in chapter 18, God specifically told Abraham that he and Sarah would finally conceive and have a son within the next year. They were very old in their 90s, but God gave them that very clear, very specific promise. And then in chapter 19, we saw God judge the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness. So, in the last two chapters, we have seen Abraham get good news about how God was going to miraculously bless him, and we've seen him get bad news about how God seriously takes sin. And so you'd expect chapter 20 is like, okay, Sarah conceives, bears a son named Isaac, Abraham fears God and trusts in him and obeys his commands, and we are so going to read that in chapter 21. But we have chapter 20, and we see Abraham sin again in the same way as before. And you're left thinking, seriously? Not again. Like, you know better, don't you, Abraham? Well, apparently not. And so we're looking at Genesis chapter 20 today. We'll be looking at the whole chapter. It is 18 verses. It sounds quite similar to our Old Testament reading, but it's not. That's why we read that, just so you knew that this is two different stories. Same guy, though. Genesis 20, beginning in verse 1. Let us hear the word of God. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, Will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me in my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, 
I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for speaking in your word. We thank you for how you have given us exactly what we need to hear in your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use me in spite of my sins and repeated sins to faithfully and clearly proclaim your word. God, I pray that you would give us the ears to hear and that your word would go into our hearts and minds and so change us and encourage us and correct us. God, I pray that for those especially who need to hear this morning about our repeated sins and how you care for us as we battle them, that you would give us ears to hear and that you would seal this word in us. And so God, may you be glorified in the preaching and hearing of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question I want us to be looking at today that I think is a very important question for those of us who believe in Jesus. And that is, how should Christians handle the sad reality that we continue to sin, often in the same stupid ways, even when we know better? How do we handle that? We see it in Abraham. How do we handle it when it's us? And so we're going to try to look and see that this does happen, We're going to look and see how it happens. And then how do we look at that? How do we go forward knowing this is what goes on in our lives? So really, as you look at chapter 20, you cannot appreciate the sadness of what is happening without the Old Testament reading from Genesis 12, because this is not the first time this has happened. We see these two stories, Genesis 12, Genesis 20, and they are very similar On both occasions, Abraham is living as a foreigner in unfamiliar lands, and he's afraid. Now, the reason he's afraid is kind of weird. He thinks people are going to see his wonderfully beautiful wife, kill him, take her. That seems strange to us, but that's why he's afraid. And so Abraham tells his wife, just say you're my sister, and I'll be okay, and I won't die. It's a lie that seems true because they don't have any children, The problem is, when they do this, in both occasions, the ruler of the land is the one who sees Sarah and takes her as his wife, leading to the predicament of, oh no, 
how do we get Sarah back? This is bad. So chapter 20 very much feels like deja vu. We are meant to read this and think, how could he do this again? Like, I get he would sin again, but how does he do this one again? In fact, what happens in chapter 20 seems way worse than what happens in chapter 12 because Abraham has far more information. God has spoken to him a lot more. God has made a covenant with him. He has made clearer promises to him. He has delivered him from dangers and he has showed him how seriously he takes sin in judging Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet, Abraham still sins. He knows better, but that doesn't stop him from sinning. Notice how that's contrasted with Abimelech. See, when Abimelech is confronted with his error, he immediately pleads ignorance. He confesses that Abraham and Sarah had both told the sibling story. He did not knowingly take another man's wife. And had he known, he would have acted differently. That is what we expect from people. If you know better, you will do better. But we only see that in the pagan king. We don't see that in Abraham. This shows us that knowing better is not the answer to avoiding sin. One of the more interesting aspects of human nature is that all people do things they know they shouldn't do. You can go all around the world. You can find people with different standards of what is right, what is wrong. But all of them will not perfectly obey their own standard of right and wrong. That's what Paul's describing in the New Testament reading. He agrees with God's law that these are God's commands and I should do them. But he also knows that he doesn't always do what he knows he should do. He acknowledges that there's something within him that causes him to act differently than he knows he should act. And Paul in the Bible calls that our sinful nature. That even as believers in Jesus, our hearts still desire sin, even though we want to obey God. Later in our service, we're going to sing the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, which has probably my favorite line in any of our hymns that we sing. And it says this, Let thy, God's goodness, like a fetter or rope, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. This repeated mistake of Abraham shows us the sad reality that we will still struggle against our sin, even when it seems we should know far better. That our hearts are prone to wandering from God and we need Him to bind us to Him by His grace. But we need to figure out how this wandering happens. Why is our compass so busted? Why do we seem to always get off the right track? Can we better understand what happens so that we can try to stop this from happening? Well, yes. If you look at Abraham's words, or you could call them excuse, in verses 11 through 13, we get a sense of what was going on in Abraham's mind when he, his heart was set on sinning. 
And I want to look at five steps that he describes. Five steps in Abraham's response that led him to do this thing that he knew better than to do again. So first, we see that Abraham is driven by fear instead of by faith in God and his promises. That's what he says. He says, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. So Abraham is afraid someone's going to kill me. Abraham should have been afraid or feared God, but he forgot God. God had previously and repeatedly promised to bless Abraham and to bless those who bless him and to curse those who dishonor him. He had shown his glory in protecting him. He had shown his judgment in Sodom and Gomorrah. Shouldn't he have trusted God to keep him alive in this situation? Instead, he let fear take over. We too can fall into sin because we can't see past what we're afraid of. Maybe we're afraid of providing for our family when we're out of a job and finances are running low. Maybe we are afraid that a cancer diagnosis will lead lead to us leaving our loved ones behind. Our fears can be big and our fears can be small, but they can occupy our minds in such a way that we forget our faith in God and act like we don't believe in Him. And so we see Abraham was primarily driven by fear. The second step we see is Abraham rationalizes his sin to make himself sound less bad. We get some new and super awkward information about Abraham and Sarah. Apparently, this husband and wife are half-siblings. Okay? So technically, he wasn't lying when he said, she's my sister. Now, you know who doesn't really care? Abimelech. Abimelech says, I don't care if you're related. You're married. That's what matters to me right now. That weirdness, that's between you guys. But she's still your wife. And you let me take her. That's lying. So Abraham tried to make himself sound not as bad. And Abimelech sees right through it. You are making excuses. Well, we can also make feeble attempts to rationalize our sins when we know better. Oh, this isn't gossip. It's a prayer request. Looking at these videos online isn't hurting any other person. And this person makes me happier than the person I used to love. Yeah, I I lost my temper, but I had a bad day at work. That's why. I may have been a little too critical, but I was right about what I said. Our excuses and explanations for our sin are often just as flimsy as Abraham's. And so we see we we tend to rationalize and excuse our sins. The third step we see is that Abraham blames God for putting him in this situation where he thinks he had to sin. Look at the beginning of verse 13. This is Abraham talking. When God caused me to wander from my father's house. You hear that? Abraham is implying that these sister shenanigans would never have happened if God had just never talked to him in the first place. It's really God's fault for making him this pilgrim wanderer that would have to live among these scary foreign people. Abraham begrudged God his situation and felt like he was left with no choice but to sin. Might a single person blame God for their lustful habits since they don't have someone to love. 
Might a person in a difficult marriage blame God for their cruel words and bitterness? Might a person in poverty blame God for their envy towards others who have more? Might a person with unnatural desires blame God for giving them desires that He won't let them fulfill? So often, instead of taking the blame on ourselves for choosing to sin, we can blame God for putting us in that hard situation. That's what we see Abram do. Fourth, we observe that Abram does not sin alone, but he is dragging others into sin with him. Abraham obviously drags Sarah into this scheme. He explains this was a plan he concocted and she went along with the lie. But Abraham also drags Abimelech into this sin. That's what Abimelech says in verse 9. You made me almost commit adultery. I didn't want to do that. Did you not care? And the answer is no. Abraham didn't care. Sin is rarely something that stays isolated in us. It reaches out and entangles others like a spider's web. So do we consider the example that we set, especially to those under our care, do we make sure we demonstrate godly priorities in our daily life? We must not only consider how sin affects us, but how it affects those around us as well. And then the fifth step we see where all of this leads Abraham is that he sins with enough frequency to develop a hard-to-break habit. Abraham explains in verse 13, this was the strategy he developed some 25, 30 years ago. And he's still doing it. Even though he knows better, even though it has backfired almost every time, even though he has seen the drastic consequences of sin, he still falls into this pattern. Sin can be addictive like that. The more we sin, the harder we find it to stop sinning. The more we sin, the easier it is to give in to temptation. You can think about it like sledding. The more you travel a sled path, the faster you go down that path and the harder it is to veer into the fresh snow and make a new path. Likewise, repeated sin clears a path that we find easy to follow in the future. We find it much harder to blaze a different trail when that one is just so easy to pursue. So hearing just how all of this happens, we're left to wonder what hope is there for wanderers like us? Because I don't know about you, but I get incredibly frustrated with myself that I commit the same stupid sins over and over. I've lost count of how many times I've said to myself, well, I'm never going to do that again, only to wake up tomorrow and just, there we go, going to do that again. When we sin in repeated ways like that, usually we get down on ourselves. Big time. And we feel we deserve severe punishment because we knew better. And we see ourselves like Abimelech and God's conversation with him. That out of nowhere, God interrupts Abimelech's dream to say quite the opening line. Behold, you are a dead man. That's, that's something right there. But then Abimelech protests his innocence and ignorance, saying it would be unjust for you to punish me because I didn't know better. 
And that's how we tend to view God's judgment. He will overlook ignorance, but boy, He would come down on someone hard if they knew better. That's how we think of it. But how does God treat Abraham? God doesn't interrupt his dream to say, you're a dead man. God doesn't speak to him at all. He simply protects Sarah and returns her to Abraham. Abraham, in fact, is blessed with livestock and servants and land where he can dwell. God even uses Abraham to pray for Abimelech and bless his household. That even though Abraham knew better and sinned in the same stupid way as before, God still blessed him and used him as a blessing to others. And so we're left thinking like, well, what gives, man? Well, it challenges our assumptions about how God views our repeated stupid sins. Because we tend to live like God has given us a second chance and we shouldn't mess up that second chance. He forgives our past sins, but we think it is our responsibility to keep our clean slate clean. Now, I hope some of you recognize that is a faulty way of thinking. But I bet you can also recognize that is a familiar way of thinking. A mindset that you have had before when you have sinned repeatedly. That's not God's approach to His people as we see with Abraham. He does not see us as employees to be fired for making the same mistake again. He sees us as His adopted children whom He is training with fatherly discipline. That He has long-term plans for our growth and maturation and He knows there's going to be stumbling along the way. And so this gradual, grace-fueled growth in holiness is called sanctification. That's the big fancy Bible word for it. Gradual, grace-fueled growth in holiness is sanctification, where the Holy Spirit works in us to help us choose obedience over sin more and more often. That's how God sees it. And if that's how God sees our struggle against repeated sin, shouldn't we see ourselves the same way? This is kind of like having a growth mindset. Having a growth mindset means seeing the failure right now, not as some verdict that you can't change, that just I am a failure. Failure is just an opportunity to try again and get better. Yes, sins are still bad, but Jesus already paid the punishment for those sins. We are forgiven in him. God knows we are sinners. He sent Jesus to save sinners. He knows it's going to take a lot of grace and a lot of time for us to grow in godliness. And so think about children. Think about children because God sees us as His children. Children have so much to learn. There's so much they don't know how to do well. Whether it's tying their shoes, or for older kids, driving a car, or for adult kids, balancing a budget. Like, you really don't learn this kind of stuff. You don't get it right the first time. And we shouldn't expect kids to get it right the first time. They will probably mess up multiple times, and we should anticipate that. But we view those failures as steps in the growth process, not as opportunities to criticize and condemn. At least we're supposed to. I speak as a parent who struggles with that. We all struggle with that. But that's how God views His children. 
Perhaps you feel like your continued struggle with the same sins means that God is displeased with you. Well, yes, God doesn't like your sins. But do you think He wants you to wallow in sadness or try again and trust Him more? Do you think He wants you to know that you can't get any better? Or do you think He wants to pick you up and strengthen you to grow more like Jesus? Do you think God wants to berate His children or bless His children with the help they need? See, God wants to bless us and wants us to be a blessing to others. Imagine how awkward Abraham must have felt. He got caught in this stupid, sinful scheme again. Abimelech, this pagan king, is calling Abraham out for his deception. And then he's done talking. And he's like, Abraham, would you pray for me now? Like, I've just sinned. I've just messed up. And now I have to pray for you that God would bless you? How miserable and unworthy must Abraham have felt? But notice, God answered that prayer. God worked through Abraham. God can use broken, forgetful, stumbling people to bless others. And look at how he blesses Abimelech. God had closed the wombs of all the women in his house. It was a form of judgment for taking Sarah as his wife. And Abraham prays for God to open those barren wombs and God answers that prayer. A prayer Abraham had certainly prayed for himself and his wife many, many times and had not gotten the answer he wanted. And yet, after doing this dumb thing again, he prays it for these other people and God answers it. God was encouraging Abraham to see That even though you still messed up, I am still the God who does that kind of stuff. I still will keep my promise. Sarah will still conceive. And so even in his repeated sin, God blesses Abraham with more reasons to trust him and his promises. God doesn't toss him aside after he sinned so many times. God sees a beloved child struggling to learn a very important lesson. That's how he sees us as well. So don't despair. We all struggle with some kind of sin that we keep doing that we know we should not do. Recognize it. Repent of it. And seek God's grace to resist that sin. You may keep struggling with it for months or years or decades, but pray for progress in the power of the Holy Spirit. And remember that we all have a lot of growing to do before we're finished projects in the sanctification network. The God who saves us from our sins is sanctifying us of those sins, knowing that someday we are going to live forever with Him, free from sin. And that is what God is up to, even in broken, forgetful people like us. Let us pray. Well, God, we pray that You would help us to see Your love for us, Lord, we don't say any of this to excuse our own sinfulness. Sin is still bad. Sin is still why Jesus had to die. And yet, O Lord, do not cause us to have 
a bad kind of grief, a bad kind of sorrow that keeps us from you. Instead, may we have godly repentance turning back towards you and seeking your help to live holy lives. Help us, O Lord, to see the kind of sanctifying work that you want for us and are working in us. And help us to trust in you to see the ways in which we fall into these sins and to pray for help not to fall into them as often in the future. Grow us, O Lord, knowing that our future is in glory, free from sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.